Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Deep Cuts. Dune Edition. <laughs> Try it again. <laughs> Deep Cuts. Dune Edition. doing so well you know what we could do is we could pre-record that and then just play it back each time but that's that wouldn't be any fun that's not the kind of service we offer here at strange and beautiful book club if you want that kind of whatever professionalism professionalism and consistency (laughs) i don't know look elsewhere what do we look like we're professional presented by wondery i don't think so This podcast is available early and ad-free on Amazon Music. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) We're not corporate. It's probably a good thing. So fucking not corporate. Oh, God. I was watching one of those, you know, those Instagram videos that are trendy. They do whatever. And the, the one right now is like, we're whatever. So we. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one that's like, I'm an alt boy, so I own more jewelry than my girlfriend. And then he turns to his friend and his his friend goes, I'm an alt boy, so I manage my girlfriend's OnlyFans account. And and they stop and they're like, dude, that's not, we don't. He's like, no, no, it's cool. It's like a thing. Everybody does. It's fine. It's okay. And he's like, okay, cool. So they go on the next one. He's like, I'm an alt boy, so I know how to apply eyeliner better than my mom. And then he turns to his friend and his friend goes, I'm an alt boy. So sometimes I kiss my male friends. And if they don't say no homo, I get a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then they do the like come together, like filming their shoes. Like, well, hang on, dude. Whoa. He's like, does that really happen to you? And he's like, yeah, man. Doesn't that happen to everybody? And he's like, no, man, that's not what happens to everybody. It was so I don't remember how that related to, whoa, oh, the... Not we're corporate. Not, we're not corporate. Yeah. This doesn't mean we don't want to be corporate. If somebody wants to pay us to do this, that would be fun. And technically, we get paid. Yeah, we get paid $26 a month from Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> Thank you. you, patrons. You too could be a patron. You could talk to us on Discord anytime you wanted to. All you have to do is pay for the privilege. <laughs> Five dollars a month. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> no, we have a lot of fun on the Patreon. I was editing the two and a half hour long Beast, Sheath, and Shatter episode that we just recorded. And so to pass the time while I was doing that. So to pass the time while I was doing that, I was making AI images. I hesitate to call it art. I was making AI <laughs> images. You and, were prompting AI images. And sending it to the Discord like, y'all check out this shit. <laughs> really fun anyway today we will be talking about children of dune 
the miniseries produced by Sci-Fi in 2003, Part 3. We've already talked about Part 1. We kind of talked about Part 2 slash I ranted about costumes for an hour and a half. I don't know how you want to look at that episode, but that's what that was. So and I will, the saga of Dune is almost over. It's almost over. Well, then we get to watch the Dennis Villeneuve. Yep. Denny Villeneuve. I like Dennis better. This is, <laughs> this is Dune by yeah, Dennis. Yeah, this is Dune movie by Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Dennis. Doing a great job. <laughs> I work with a guy named Denny. Yeah. And it's always Denny. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anyone call him Dennis. Yeah, I think they'd probably get written They can up tell by, by his last name that he's very French. He'd probably get written up by HR. Be like, I'm sorry, but Denny mm. has filed a complaint against I you. I don't think he would complain. To HR. He complained to your face? Um, maybe, yeah. maybe behind your back. Or just not worry about it. So anyway, it's time for part three. We open with the wolves. We close with the wolves last time. We open with the wolves this time. Mm-hmm. And kind of. Yeah, kind of. It's like Ganima waking up and she's like, shit, Lado. And she looks out and there's a dead wolf. And she goes and literally beats the dead wolf to death. And then she's like, may the sand strip the flesh from your bones. Maybe that's the Dune equivalent of beating a dead horse. Yeah. except Is stabbing a dead Laza tiger. Except these are not native. And they're kind of, I don't know what these are. It doesn't really matter. We like zoom out and there's Lado and he's like, I'm sorry, but I had to do what had to be done. Right. With dramatic music in the background. She does the like ritual statement of may the wind strip the flesh from your bones and... And then we switch to Leto, and he says, may Shailud watch over you, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And we've made up Sakhar Nabai, which is the golden path. I don't know. Maybe in later books they call it Sakhar Nabai, but we there's don't call a, it that in Children of Dune. There's some stuff outside of the books that talks about the Fremen language. And I, I was looking up something about uh, Dune, Children of Dune, and... There's uh, part of the soundtrack, there's like choral singing. Yeah. And are they singing in from, Fremen? From what I read, oh, no. Brian Tyler was like, oh, yeah, I went through all of these like subsidiary documents that aren't like part of the books. They're just like his notes or whatever that have been published. And I picked out the, the Chaksoba Fremen words. Yeah. And, and so I put it all together. And then someone, uh, like a fan, was like, actually, it really sounds like this other thing that somebody made that was, like, inspired by Dune. And they had a whole, like, poem or something written out. Yeah. Apparently, Brian Tyler just copy-pasted that. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's fremony sounding words. Yeah. It's just... Like, apparently he he tried to, like, sell it as a little more, Yeah, I wrote this. He did more research effort into the whole Mm, Dune Fremen thing. Brian. Maybe it wasn't Brian. I don't know. This is just, like, I saw it two places on the internet. Okay. Whatever. So it may or may not be true. Take that for what it's But it's a funny story. Yeah, it's a funny story. But, yes, Sakhar Nabui. Sakhar Nabai. Sakhar Nabai. It's not in the book. No. They always just call it the golden path. The golden path. 
So after Leto leaves Ganima, he kind of goes off into the desert and he sits on this dune and he's looking off into the distance, into the future, into his fate, I can only assume. Because then he looks over and his dad is sitting next to him. And I mentioned- Like, what are you doing? Well, I mention all of this because he calls him the whirlwind. He says, you will be the whirlwind. And I was like, oh, this is a really cool reworking of the Kwisatz Haderach. The whirlwind, like when religion and politics ride in the same cart, the whirlwind follows. Mm -hmm. Well, we thought the whirlwind was Paul, but the whirlwind is Leto. The Kisrit. Well, the Kisrit is the cart with religion and politics in it. Oh, oh, but Leto is the whirlwind whirlwind that follows. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool because we spend the whole first part being like, "You are the whirlwind," and then it's like. Psych, your son is the whirlwind, and, <laughs> which we don't really do in the book. We don't bring the whirlwind metaphor back. Honestly, the superhero Leto in the book is treated very weirdly, and the way that they fold it back into the series is so much better than how they work it in the books. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> when we got to that, I was looking for it because I've seen the miniseries. And so when we got to it in the book, I was like, the shit. This is weird. I don't like it. Like, it makes me vaguely uncomfortable because he becomes a total asshole and inhuman. He becomes immediately inhuman Mm -hmm. as opposed to more compassionate than human. He becomes less compassionate than human. In the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He he regards humans as lesser. Like, it's not even worth his time, really. Right. And so I like how they fold back like this has been coming for a long time. This is what was going. This is what has been prophesized. He's not necessarily the Kwisatz Haderach. Neither one of them were. They were something completely different. Something unexpected. Something unexpected. And then we get Alia falling deeper into madness. And I really like how we portray this because it makes her such a sad character. (laughs) Yeah, she pulls it off really well. Tragic character in the series, whereas in the book, she's just like, oh, look at this woman that couldn't hold her shit together and she's fucking all the priests. (laughs) And longtime listeners know how I feel about tragic characters. (laughs) I love tragic characters. Longtime listeners, yes, Matt loves a good tragic character. So making Alia tragic is like, "Mm, thank you so much. I really like this change. Of course, what it does do is make Jessica even more of the villain than I already thought she was, but. That's okay. I really need to confront my feelings about Jessica because every time we watch something, it gets a little stronger. And now I know we're going to go back and watch Dune and the whole time I'm just going to be like, fucking Jessica. Like, I hate Jessica so much. (laughs) Well, I think in Denise, Dune. Dennis is Dune. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to. In Dennis is Dune, uh, Rebecca Ferguson is a little more emotive. She is more emotive, but she still does all the same shit. Yeah, she still yeah. plays the same story. I think so. part of my problem with Jessica in this series is Alice Krieg. It's Alice mm-hmm. Krieg's, not her face, like, in that she's not pretty, but in that it never does anything. She holds this same, like, ugh, like, I can't even <laughs> describe how she, like, when you pull your cheeks back and you get, like, it thins your mouth out. But, like, that's the only face she can make. She can't relax her face. We wouldn't know who she is. It'd be like, who's that bitch? I've never seen that face before. Because she always holds her face like that. And then she does the voice. The voice. Like this. <laughs> just... you, you don't like Alice's voice? There's just 
something about the voice that she used is just right. for Jessica. <laughs> no, that's her voice. Everything well, that I know, she's but in, she the... uses that voice. Right, but for the Jessica character, it's because it feels like Alice Creek is a character playing a character. Like I'm mm-hmm. not actually seeing this woman immerse herself in the character. I'm seeing Alice Creek pretend to be Jessica instead of like, oh, that's Jessica. Oh, who's it played by? Right. It's like the uncanny valley of acting. Yeah. Maybe. She's just not she's fucking still phony. I don't know. I can't with the. I mean, I'm not going to dwell on it because I dwelt on it already. Um, I think I think you already are. <laughs> Maybe you can strive to let go. I am. You know, I'm going to face my fear. i'm gonna let it pass over me and through me and then i will turn and see the path that fear has left and there will be nothing only i will remain how about that there you go that good okay thank you just repeat that in your head yeah the mantra the litany against alice krieger no problem (laughs) okay so we go into uh then we get um some more wincentia and paraden because we ended the last episode with jessica and Duncan are fleeing the planet Arrakis because Alia has made it inhospitable for anybody who might challenge her power. So poor Duncan has to abandon his wife, who is not his wife. It's just the flesh of his wife walking around with a different soul inside of it. And he takes Lady Jessica to Seleucus Secundus. And so this is when Sensia and Faradin being like, do we take them in? And when Sensi is like, can I remind you that she seduced a duke and an entire planet full of Fremen? And then she just fucked off back to Caladan and did not reap the consequences of any of her decisions. She's winning. She's fucking winning. Like, first of all, I admire her. But second of all, <laughs> but second of all I don't want that happening to me. And right. I'm fine as long as her activity is not... It, like I'm not as long as I'm not in her path, right? It's yeah. cool. It's admirable. She's like a I great TV her. show. I don't want her in my life. I feel like I could learn something from her, but I don't want to get near her, right? <laughs> and Faradin's like, "Cool, I hear what you're saying, but have you considered that she's already here and we're already implicated for kidnapping her? Maybe we could spin this instead. Like maybe we frame this as, no, I wanted a Bene Gesserit teacher, and we just happened to get assigned Jessica." And when Sensi is like, huh, all right, yeah, you're a little bit smarter than I thought you were. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, this episode, like when Sensia, this episode is her repeatedly looking at her son thinking, hmm, mm. you're more competent than I thought. Which is a nice change for the one Sensi in the book. Because the one yeah. Sensi in the book is like, derp, derp, she's just not, <laughs> she does like a small amount. Enough to further the plot, and then that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And then this is more of a Wensensia who's like, I admire your strength. I wanted you to be physically strong, but mentally strong is acceptable. Maybe. Maybe. Because there's a part where Faradin is, um, he's like, well, I could use a teacher. And, like, I've already read all the books in the library, and there's nobody else to teach me here. And Wensensia is literally like, don't play the fool. Like, I know how smart you are, and I know you're trying to manipulate me, but I'm going to do what you want. But I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. But I just want you to know that I know that you're manipulating me. And you're like, cool. Like, this is a cool scene. This is a cool mm-hmm. interaction. This is Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon came and conquered this role. 
Which only makes I'm not. I, I will face my fear. <laughs> I, face I would my say fear. Susan Sarandon as Wincentia is yeah. like the best in part three. Yes. In parts one and two, it was kind of eh. Yeah, she just is. She's just like a she mustache twirling villain, yeah. but she doesn't have a mustache to twirl, so she's just twirling her extravagant jewelry for two parts, and then the <laughs> third part, it's like, all right, fine. Now I finally get my, I get to bloom the way I want to bloom, and I know I promised. That I wasn't going to talk about the costumes anymore. I don't think you did. I promised Promise myself that, that oh, I wasn't going to talk about the costumes okay. anymore. I just have like one more thing that I want to say. And it's, could we have watched Dune Part 2, Part 1? Could we have watched like the first Dune, the Dune miniseries from 2000, and maybe just used the same knife sheaths that they used in Dune 2000? Because these knife sheaths suck. They suck so fucking bad. And I don't know why it bothers me so much. And you know what it is? It's because, like, Ganima stabs that that wolf. And we kind of see the wrap-up of it right here. But she stands up, and she puts her knife in her sheath. And her knife is, like, 18 inches long. A knife that long should not have this type of sheath. It's centered on the front of her thigh. And as soon as she puts the knife in... The handle is heavier than the blade, so it tips the whole blade sideways, and it ends up, like, hitting her in the crotch. Oh, probably because the blade is, like, rubber or something, and the handle is more substantial. And in order to draw their blade, they all have to grab the bottom of their sheath and then pull their knife. So none of them can pull their knife one-handed. This is supposed to be a warrior, people. Strap that shit to their thigh. Strap that Strap it to their thigh. Think... Han Solo. Yes, Han Solo's his... gun holster is both around on his belt and just above his knee. So he doesn't have to use two hands. He doesn't have to hold the in holster the, down. In the Han Solo books, they talk about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the Han Solo holster, and it's like a speed holster. Yeah. And he's known for being a quick draw. Yeah. Because it's, you let your hand hang down at your side, and where your hand hits the, your thigh... That's where the handle should be. These are supposed to be a warrior people. You are given a Chris knife. It is yours for life. And when you die, your Chris knife dissolves. This knife is with you from birth until death. It is part of you. It should have a nice sheath. Could we have put a little bit of thought into the sheath? And then, you know what? I'm done now. That's all I wanted to say about it. And now I'm done. So... Leto ends up in Jakarutu pretty early on in this episode because we need the Jakarutu plotline to yeah, wrap he goes up really straight. quick. Yeah, we have one. Yeah, one episode. Yeah, so he's like, "All right, I'm gonna grab me a worm, go straight to Jakarutu," and he does. And then he goes in Jakarutu and he's like, "Huh, sand trout." And then they're like, "We have you all Wata in our cop." <laughs> I don't know what this is? And they're like, "Ha ha, you know what sand trout are?" And they just hit him with the tractor. <laughs> Which I. I appreciate how well James McAvoy did because he's he has his knife up, yeah, right in like a guard position, and he's holding his stance. He gets hit and he grabs it with his left hand. His entire body stays in the stance, yeah, with his hand with his oh, knife no, hand James up. James McAvoy is crushing and, it, right? Yeah, but this is like. Maybe James Mike. I know, and he's still doing a good job. Right. He's really doing a good but, job. But, uh, like, from a, like, directing perspective, yeah. they did a good job. Yeah. Like, directing 
the cast. Yeah. And we've actually sort of simplified the Jackarutu plot significantly. And oh, yeah. That, Gurney's not there. Gurney's not there. And this works because we don't have to work in all of the intrigue. We don't have to work in the fact that Alia is manipulating this in order to try to get um, Leto to engage in the spice trance. We don't have to in- incorporate the whole other siege, which is actually lower than Jackarutu. Mm-hmm. We don't have to include any, we don't have to include the guy that's supposed to watch him and will kill him if blank happens which you never find out what blank is and this is like a double-edged sword because one it allows us to introduce this plot line really early it allows us to wrap it up really quickly and it allows us to really get moving on the rest of the plot but i really feel like it makes their motivation super murky because they're like let's get him okay now let's give him a bunch of spice okay so in in the book alia indirectly blah, 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 intrigue deception yeah. whatever is trying to get leto through the spice trance to awaken his prescience yeah so that he can actually look into the future and cooperate with her give her the Report information back. she needs with orders that he is to be killed if he like becomes abomination gets possessed by the spirits of his ancestors whatever yeah in the show they are putting him through the spice trance to try to get him possessed so that he will be insane and he'll be killed off because he's abomination they could have just killed him though but this is supposed to be through Wincentia. i don't think this part is because they my, think my everyone thinks Leto's dead. Only the people in Jakarutu don't think oh, Leto's right. dead. So my interpretation was they wanted to get him on the spice trance, actually get him, like give him so much that he's overwhelmed so that he gets possessed so that they can come out and say, hey, Leto's possessed. He's abomination. Kill him and remove one of the heirs as well as discredit part of the Atreides. Yeah, that's thing. reading a lot between the lines. That's not immediately maybe it's, obvious. Maybe in the it's show. more, th- but I guess it's because we get this is through the rebel Fremen. Yeah, we get exactly like three interactions, and it's he wakes up and he's like, "Oh, you guys are the you guys are cast out, but you're pretending to be smugglers." And she's like, "Yeah, that's how we make our money." And he's like, "Cool." And then he goes back into the spice trance. And then we get her talking to somebody else, and she's like, I got to give him more. He's stronger than we thought. And they're like, whatever, give him as much as it takes. And she says, yeah, but it could kill him. And they're like, whatever, give him more spice. And then he wakes up, and then he's like, oh, I'm cool now. I'm, like, saturated with the spice. And that's the one where she's like, are you crazy now? Like, are you hearing voices yet? Are you crazy like your aunt yet? And so you get that they're trying to drive them mad, but we don't really know what their end game is. Well, one of the guys that was there is the one that kills Muad'Dib. Yeah. And yelling Jakarutu. Implying that they're part of the rebel Fremen trying to take down the Atreides empire. I'm just saying it makes the whole motivation. Yeah, we we don't we don't over explain it. No, but we don't thoroughly explain it for their own ends they give him a bunch of spice yeah attempting to make him abomination okay 
Well, that's fine. I mean, it's fine. That's why I said it's a double-edged sword, because it's fine. But it does, like, squint a little at mm-hmm. the motivations, which is it's okay. And then in my notes, I have Javid is punchable. And I think this is just a blanket statement for the entire episode, which is the actor who played Javid is infinitely punchable. And I don't know if it's the herbal essence hair he's working with or the stupid little smirk on his face. Every time he looks at Alia like he owns her in some way or what. But he I'm glad when he when Duncan kills him, you're like, thank God, because he's awful. <laughs> it, yeah, he's in this a lot, actually. He's not in part. Two, he's in part two some. But then in part three, it's like he's there every time Alia is there. And he's he's the one who shows her the quote body of the priest that was killed so that she bombs an entire siege. And then he's the one who goes to Stilgar to try to get Stilgar to give up his neutrality, which is when Duncan kills him. But every time we interact with him, he feels a little bit more empowered. He f- looks a little bit more punchable. Yeah. So good job. Good job. Javid yeah. should look punchable. And congratulations, he looks punchable. So much so that that's literally the only thing I wrote in my notes. <laughs> I also noticed something else that I thought was interesting, and we notice it. Anytime Alia has taken an overdose of spice, and then we notice it again when Leto wakes up after getting given, Matt called it spicy soup, (laughs) spicy (laughs) soup for who knows how long, is their eyes glow, like glow faintly. Yeah, his color, his eye color was a different color blue. Yeah, they're like a really, like, they glow like they did in the first one. Mm -hmm. Not that that was kind of interesting. Like maybe the reason that their eyes don't glow the same as anymore is because there's literally less spice on Arrakis. So there's less in the air. Oh yeah, so they're just getting saturated with it less. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Apparently that's what happened to Jessica because she lost her blue eyes altogether. Which no you're supposed blue. to be addicted. Like it's supposed to be something you can't stop taking. Right. You have to keep taking. And Jessica's such that a level of spice. Jessica's such a bitch. She was like, I'll muscle through it. If it means my eyes change. Well, back. maybe, maybe as a Bene Gesserit with the level <laughs> of like body yeah. control, maybe she can regulate the like spice withdrawal. Yeah. And you know what else you really feel for? Duncan? Or she's wearing contacts. Or, you know, maybe like Faradin does in the book. Could be. Yeah. Maybe. You know what else they did a really good job of in this one is you really feel for Duncan. Duncan looks oh, yeah. so sad. This actor acted in this and then he retired from acting to work in his family's like clothing manufacturing company. Aw. I know. I was looking forward to seeing him in more stuff. I know. And then his IMDb picture is him with the with Javid hair, like really long hair. And you're like, <laughs> oh, we could have had that. And instead we got it looks like somebody took a lawnmower to his head. I don't know what is happening. But he just looks really sad. Like I loved a woman and I had to watch her die, but she isn't actually dead. I'm walking, watching her body walk all around and now I'm having to work against her. And then I had to go talk to her. And then I had to go talk to her and then he's trying to get Stilgar to act and Stilgar's like, no, I'm neutral. And he's like, oh, you mean you're wearing a collar? And he's like, uh, watch your mouth. And Duncan's like, cool, I'm going to watch it do whatever it fucking wants. That's what I'm going to watch it do. Because then he kills Javid, and that's, of course, when Duncan gets killed. And we get the iconic line, which is two deaths for the Atreides and the second for no more reason than the first. But he looks sad and slightly sweaty. 
And I think maybe it's the stress. <laughs> he's just stressed. <laughs> also, he's wearing like six cloak layers. I don't know what this is. They had one long rectangle and they just pinned it at his shoulder. This is much better than his part two outfit. Oh, you mean the Menta outfit that he was wearing? Is the, that what that's supposed to be? The vacuum bag collar or whatever <laughs> it was. He, I, I'm, don't lure me into was, a discussion about the costumes. And it was, it seemed well constructed. It was just like, you know, navel up yeah. of this like black. You know what it felt like? It felt like, like the big corpse thing. of the glorious costumes from Dune 2000. It was <laughs> somebody had watched it. They didn't go back and reference it. They kind of remembered that they were cool costumes and maybe they had some texture. So let's make this whole textured cowl collar shoulder piece and we'll put it on, on Duncan. It's fine. Mm. I was thumbing through our copy of like the behind the scenes, how the secrets of sci-fi's dune our mm -hmm. making of book and they have a whole bunch of stills and i was looking at um, julie cox's costumes from the first first miniseries and mm -hmm. i was just like oh shit like some of her dresses are just okay you you did that you're welcome okay so we go back to gurney's adventures in fremen land <laughs> jessica was basically like gurney go Oh, in the desert. Talk, and talk like, to the smugglers do, or whatever. Do you still have some friends here? You all go talk to your go, friends. Go see your friends. Just, Gurney, you can go We're not going to be here for very long. Listen, Gurney, you ha I'm going to set a timer. You have an hour, but you can go find your friends and play if you want to. And if you happen to get some information while you're doing it, great, report back. And then she forgot Gurney existed because she never interacts with Gurney ever again. No, at the very end, when she's leaving again... She's like, she calls him a good friend. Yeah, she's like, hello, friend. Are you coming back to Caladan on a friendly basis? Will we be hanging out anymore with affection? <laughs> <laughs> kind of friends forever. Kind of friends, just friends forever. <laughs> just friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> and Gurney's like, actually, I think I'm going to stay here because um, you don't actually love me and I matter here. So uh, I'm, I'm good at writing. I'm Worms. I'm good at this desert shit, so I'm just gonna stay here. I, you just, I don't know, because he he goes off to gather information, and then he has this. You know what I want? I want a Gurney book. I want a whole book of like, what was Gurney doing for the two years? Oh, like like a uh, point of view. Yeah, Gurney book. Yeah, through the whole like from Dune. Dune yeah. Messiah and Children of Dune? Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah, because Dune, he's gone for two years before we hook back up with him, and he's somehow like king of the smugglers. You know that was some amazing shit he did. He's like best friends with the guy who runs the smugglers, so much so that his son in in Children of right, Dune is he, like... Right, because he saved Esmartuik's life. Yeah. And then... And well, then he meets up with these guys how? in this one. Right? Fucking how? What happened? How does a man who is constantly described as like a lump of grotesque flesh <laughs> with an ink vine whip scar and yet he moves through the world in this extreme he's he's more powerful than Duncan. He's right. the D Duncan remarks, I think it's only in the book, that yeah. oh he he wasn't that good with the sword. Like even back when he was training with Paul, like every day, yeah. he could still only best, um, he could still only best Gurney like four out of ten times. Yeah, 
Gurney went through something super traumatic in his life, and then he fucking chose violence for eternity. And Against then, the Harkonnens. And then he lived his life exactly the way he wanted to, and I want to yeah. see what that looks like. Yep. I want to know what, I mean, what did he, he couldn't have just like sat in the drawing room drinking tea with Jessica on Caladan for all the years that they weren't on Dune. You know he was up to shit. Anyway, I like Gurney. I think he's a cool character. He's an even cooler character in this. And it really feels like you missed out on all the best parts because we get that scene where he he's somehow hooked up with the rebel Fremen because he's out looking for information. And they're like, then we'll make sure he buys the right information. (laughs) And so they hook up with him and they're leading him around. And finally, he's like, you know what, actually? I don't think you guys have my best interest in mind. So he gets ready to leave and they're like, we can't let you leave. Death to the Atreides. The Atreides fucking sucks. And he's like, say that again to my face. And then he beats the guy up. And then the next time we meet up with him, he's riding a worm across the desert. (laughs) What the fuck happened in between? I want to know. You know, he was like, he just showed up with that guy's knife and he was like, sorry, y'all. Shouldn't have. Shouldn't have tricked me into thinking you were got, you were on my side because now I'm going to straight up murder you all. And it was probably really cool and we didn't get to see it. Alas. Instead, we have to watch uh, James McAvoy as Leto come back from his spice trance because he had a vision where there was grass and then all the worms were dead. And he was like, not on my watch. And so he woke up and he disarms the lady who in the book it's the one that he's supposed she's supposed to be his johnny and he's like yeah he he can see a future with her yeah falling in love like paul did with johnny yeah and he's like you know what actually i think i'm good so he goes and sticks his hand in the sand trout and they just become part of his skin which is so much better than whatever that visual is in the book of him like squishing the sand trout into his spreading it out over your hand like a glove yeah 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 that would have been yeah Gross. I don't want to. No, this was fine. And then he's like, hell yeah, my skin is not my own. Okay. And then we leave him for a little while. But then when he later, he survives the like. He survives a sandstorm in the desert. He's like, what is the only thing on Arrakis that doesn't feel fear the storms? The worm. And then he's like, I will not fear. And he's like screaming at the storm. It kind of like um, Lieutenant Dan. Yeah, it's not his best scene. <laughs> it's kind of like Lieutenant Dan when he's on the, <laughs> on you the will not sink this boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he climbs up the mast. Yeah. yeah. And they're the only one that survived the storm. Anyway, it's a great movie. So, you know, the best part about that movie is Gary Sinise was so moved by the idea, like the the plight of veterans. He started a veterans organization. Oh, yeah. It's one of the biggest. Yeah. Like veterans help organizations. Because he played Lieutenant Dan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking great. So. That's commitment to the role. That, uh, Gary Sinise, right? Someday we're going to do the Stand miniseries, which has Gary Sinise in it. And we can talk about my deep abiding love for Gary Sinise. But anyway, he comes back after that. He pops out of the sand. And then he's like, huh, I wonder if I can run. And then you want to talk about not his best scene. Let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> The like hands reaching <laughs> the out, grasping. run out this is. What, what were they like? James, run. So, and so he ran. And they were like, can you? Ju-? And then like one minute later, we have another running scene 
Yeah. And it's way better. I think it's supposed to be he's getting used to the new limitations of his body. Oh, yeah. Because we have that in the Children of Dune book where, like, he gets up and then him getting up, his it's too strong. It and he, like, him. flings himself across the room and he's like, okay, I got to push a little less hard when I stand up. And I think that might be he was, like, getting used to what it was going to be like to run as. But it just looks goofy. It looks really goofy. Um, you know what? Just close your eyes for a minute till the worm theme stops. The desert. This is like one of our few sitar deserty songs that Brian wrote for this. So when that ceases, come back. Because then we get this really gross line from Ganima. Because Jessica and Wensensia have been taught chatting, as they will do. And Jessica, who both neither wants her children nor wants them to lead their own life without her interference, um, decides that she's going to uh, she's gonna help Wensensia by trying to get Faradin married to Ganima. And I would say this is uh, the scenes with Alice and Susan together are probably Alice's best scenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can tell she's enjoying being there with Susan, and she's really uninterested in being with all these other unnamed actors. That's me supposing that. I don't know. Alice could be a wonderful person. And I just. Something about this performance. Something about this performance is really difficult for me. And I'm trying to work through it and not be overly negative about it. But it's just. You are in this property that lots of people love. This is the first and to date only time that these two books are adapted. And you couldn't have a facial expression. That's all I'm asking try Mm -hmm. don't act like this is beneath you because it feels like she's acting like this is beneath her and and we uh, we've seen so many other times where the directing of the actors is really good yeah but not alec newman is not phoning this in alec newman is acting like his life depends on this role (laughs) i can tell he loves Coming back. As yeah. Mu-Adim. I was watching an, in, an interview with him and he was talking about what is his favorite role or whatever. And so he was talking about this one and he was saying that he likes it because as time goes on, it becomes more and more of an important performance. He said, especially now that it's sort of come back because the Dune movie was released in 2020. Yeah, he and- said at the time he was just. Making a paycheck. Yeah, he was like, I was in my 20s. I just showed up and had a great time. I knew, kind of knew about the books. I had no idea that, like, what I was doing. I didn't know that the importance of this role was going to be. And he definitely respects what this role was and the fact that this was an adaptation that had never been tried before of two books that I honestly don't know how anybody ever read those and thought, yeah, I could make a movie with that. They are unadaptable. (laughs) They're like, you have to rewrite it to adapt it. Yeah. Yeah. And so they gave it to the guy who did the first one, and he was like, yeah, I could fucking work this out. Can I add butterflies? And they were like, well, however many butterflies you want. And he's like, fuck yeah, I'll put so many butterflies. (laughs) (laughs) And the characters are all going to watch him, but they're going to be CG butterflies. Yeah. So that they go where I want. All right. Can you imagine how many butterflies they would have had to have otherwise? Otherwise, you'd have to recapture the butterfly every time you reshot that scene. (laughs) Someone go get the butterfly. Well, you're out in the desert. All you need to do is just have one flower. And the butterfly is always going to go You're back. You're not actually in the desert. You know that, right? Well, you actually have to go to the desert <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and have one flower. <laughs> I will admit that it, these backgrounds are better than the painted backgrounds, but we are still probably on about 20 by 
15 feet of sand for most of this. (laughs) But the point I'm getting to here is Irulan, who is the only one who actually cares about the twins as people, shows in the the television show. In the book, she couldn't give a shit. But in the television show, she actually cares about them as people. So she shows up to talk to Ganima, and she's like, Ganima, how do you feel about marrying Varadin? Like, where are we at mentally? It's okay for you to communicate your feelings right now. And Ganima's like, I feel great about it because I'm going to put his blood on the wedding sheets and not mine. Gross. Okay. <laughs> I Okay. Now, the virginity discussion is for another time. But also, this line's not in the book, so somebody had to write this line, and so fucking gross, okay? <laughs> fucking gross. <laughs> I'm glad yeah, she's I, not a nine-year-old actor. I feel like they could have added some, some filler, some padding around that dialogue, because I think that would have been a good line if you are trying to convey the the multitude of like memories yeah of full lives of like strong independent women that she has in her head and for her to be like oh yeah on the wedding night instead of my blood getting on the mattress or on the bedding it's going to be his cuz I'm going to fucking kill him yeah we could have done with some reminding that they are also preborn yeah we got some in part 2 but we didn't we didn't get any in this one. Just a couple of like the Alia whispers. Right. And I think in the books, most of the times when it comes up, like the character has to remind everybody that they're preborn yeah. is with Ganima. Because, oh, a nine year old girl, oh, aren't you so cute? Yeah. And Ganima's always like, fucking stop it. I am not a child. But when you make her 18 and she acts like she's mature, you're like, okay, she's a mature 18-year-old. Right. So we could have done with some reminding. It's fine. It, that's a very minor nitpick. Like, I don't I don't really have a feeling right. about it's, that. It's just like It's a, a nuance that didn't necessarily need to be there. Right. We could have done more with Ganima instead of just like, Ganima's happy with Lido and she's just angry and murdery when he's not around. So like, thank God he comes back because otherwise she's hangry like all the time. So, that's eh, fine. But that was a gross line. And I just want it noted for the record that gross. And then we get, and I can't even, the part where the preacher and Leto finally get together. I love Alec Newman, like a lot. I went on a bit of an Alec Newman deep dive. I found the... Um, you found his Instagram? I did find his Instagram, which he loves his daughter and it's so cute. Um, Sorry. But then I found his unaired pilot for when he was going to be Barnabas Collins in a Dark Shadows reboot. Oh, the vampire one. With Jessica Chastain in it. And you can find it on the Internet Archive. And it's approximately the size of a postage stamp. Like, don't try to blow it up. You can't even <laughs> see the faces. And I feel really like I want somebody. Can somebody please find this and like re rescan the film and put it out somewhere for people who actually want to be able to see what's happening on the screen. We fucking finally get to meet the preacher and Lido and Lido gets to meet the preacher and we get them to actually interact. And I really appreciate the makeup a lot more this time when I'm watching it because he just looks grizzled and he's supposed to look grizzled. And as long as we squint at the robe, but you are correct. Alec Newman is having the time of his life. He gets to be unhinged. He doesn't have to be like stoic, sad man who can see the future and is trapped by it. He gets to be the like crazy old dude that lives in the (laughs) dead. So cute. 
He gets to be the old guy that lives in the desert. Can you please set a timer for 45 minutes and then call us when the timer goes off? So I really thought a lot about this scene because this is the first scene where Leto and the preacher interact. And so Leto stops the his, he stands in front of his worm and is like, halt, sir. And so the worm stops. And then Paul and his little guide get off. And then so Leto and, Leto and let's call him Muad'Dib because as he says, Paul Atreides is no more. So Leto and Muad'Dib slash the preacher get a chance to just sit down and have a conversation. And part of me wants this to be the moment where Paul is like, Yo, Lido, I'm your dad. Can we just have a hug? Right. Like, I was I was so waiting for like at maybe even at the end of the conversation, yeah. like just a quick little hug. Yeah, just no. Or even like a te- like a cheek stroke. Just a moment of like, you are my son. And I'm glad you exist. Well, he touches his hand and he yeah. says, like, how far? How far along is this or how far has yeah, this gone? Yeah, because he discovers that his skin is like – he. every time we see James from here on out, Leto's skin is more and more covered. But it looks really cool, these mm-hmm. like scaly patches. But I honestly think this is the better way because as much as I want him to soften, he can't. He literally died when Chani died. Paul died when Chani died. The only thing that is left is Muad'Dib. And now he needs to kill Muad'Dib too. And he cannot turn from this path. He can't. Not even for his son. Right. He's incapable of it. He's doing doing this for his son. And if he softens even one moment, he might not... do you know how hard this choice is? He might lose the nerve. He might lose the nerve. He might be yeah. like, maybe I can be a dad. Maybe I can recapture a small piece of that life I gave up. And so it's literally like if you have a bowl of M&Ms on the counter and you can walk by that a hundred times, but as soon as you eat an M&M, it's harder to walk by it again. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. <laughs> but And you need to have a full bowl of M&Ms. Or the assassins will kill you. (laughs) Kind of like that, yeah. It's just, he made a choice. He let Chani go. He made the choice to not get Chani back. He let that life go. He cannot reclaim even the tiniest part of it. And you can see him struggling with that. Because, like, when when Leto gives Muad'Dib the ring, and he puts it on his finger, and he just gets this, like... He closes his eyes for a minute like, no, 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 no. Like, don't, don't let it in. Like, oh, I want this so bad and I cannot have it. And poor Leto is like, I just wanted to be with you. I just, I wanted you to be my dad. Like, do you know how much I dreamed about having parents when I was little? Like how many times I was lying cold and I just wanted somebody to wrap their arms around me? And this is when Paul, like, grabs his arm and he can feel the scaly patch. He can probably see it, too, because it's more oh, yeah. deep. Yeah. His pressure. And he's like, um, how far up. along is this? And he's like, I did the thing that you could not do because I'm strong enough to do it. And someone had to do it. And because you didn't do it, I had to do it. And he's like, this isn't enough. I want more from you. And it's literally like, I'm sorry, but this is all we may ever have. Like, this moment is all you're going to get from me. It's all I can give you. I can't give you any more than this. And then he's like, are you a good Fremen? 
are you still a good Fremen, Leto? And Leto tells his dad, like, yeah, I'm a good Fremen. He's like, okay, will you let me die? Right, because Paul uh, Muad'Dib got captured by the Jakarutans. Yeah. And and forced through the spice trance to, like, reactivate his prescience and whatever. Yeah. But he's basically been kind of their prisoner since then. Yeah. He's been under their thumb. And and he just wants to go die. Yeah. He wants to be gone. Yeah. But every time he's tried to do that, there's been somebody there to stop him. Right. And we can't let this moment pass without covering Alec Newman's hiss. Because <laughs> he and Leto are back and forth. You know, Leto's like, listen, um, I chose the thing you couldn't choose. And Muad'Dib's like, I was a victim of the things that I could not choose. Uh, what the fuck are you doing? And Leto's like, I am making a future, a future free from po- from profits. I'm making a future that is open and no one can see it because no one should see the future. The future should be a surprise. And Alec Newman literally goes, Muad'Dib, <laughs> 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 And it works so well. Oh my God, you're just like, he is so into that moment. I wonder if that was spontaneous or if that was directed. If it was just like, yeah. he literally was feeling the anger so much in that moment. He was just like, because <laughs> there's a part later where he like bears his teeth at the priests. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, he was so. And the whole rant at the top of the time. stairs, yeah. he's just spraying spit. Yes, he's so fucking into That's why I'm like, God, could everyone else have given 150%, please? Like, he's acting at, he's acting through these prosthetics, too. So he's got this, like, grizzled forehead on. Right. And must be cheat because there's a part later where when after right, he gets big stabbed, marks and stuff. Well, he gets stabbed and like part of the cheek prosthetic has peeled off and actually pokes him in the eye. I oh, think okay. that's why he closes his one eye. But so he's got cheek ones. He's got he's he's acting through all of this. Plus he has like shit on his teeth to make them look yellow and nasty. Uh, and then he does the <laughs> every time he does it, it makes me so happy inside. <laughs> but then he's like, okay, so. We've covered all of this. We've yelled at each other. I hissed at you. Um, I can't be your dad. You don't know how badly I want to be your dad, but I can't be your dad. So can I go die now? And Leto's like, no. Which is exactly why Paul can't soften. Not yet. Well, it's exactly why he can't soften because it's like, you want me as much as anybody wants me, which is just as a pawn. I'm a pawn for everyone. Yeah, I think Leto wants him... For both. Yeah. Like, he really, really does want his dad. In the show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In, in the miniseries. Yeah. No. In the miniseries. In the book. It's in the book, he's a... Uh, psychopath. Like a, a superhuman with machine. Without or, loins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, but Leto also needs to use the symbol of Muad'Dib. Yeah. For his purposes. Use being the yes. operative word here. Again, Paul He is wants used. his dad, but he needs Muad'Dib yeah. for politics. For politics. Yeah. Because he needs him for this last um, act of character assassination. Mm-hmm. He needs him to be there to be destroyed so that Muad'Dib will finally be destroyed. And poor Paul Muad'Dib is just like, okay, cool. One more act. Let's do this. I guess I don't get to go yet. <laughs> He's just so 
Uh, it's just so sad. Like I've lost everything. I knew I was going to lose everything. And now I have to, it must be like being in a, there's a part later where Jessica is contemplating these rocks and there's ripples around the rocks. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a little bit like every action has all of these ripple effects, but also he must experience time in like an ever expanding series of ripples. Mm -hmm. So how many times has he had to lose Chani? How many times has he had to have this moment where he cannot be a father to his son? How many times has he had to live through this moment? And even having gone through it, he would still experience it. So it's just this like living in an echo chamber of your own future. Mm -hmm. And that would be really shitty. And again, that's why Paul is my favorite character. Paul is such a beautiful compact like tragic character well we get the full we get his full life story we get his whole arc he gets yeah we get growth triumph we get godhood right. we get the hero's journey out and of then we paul, get the Atreides end and paul Deeb, but then we also get the the tragedy yeah of paul Muadib, and then we get the the like final act and death yeah. And a lot of it is him, but a lot of it is just stuff that was done in his name, mm -hmm. which is why he has to destroy his own name, because it's not necessarily his actions. Some of it are his actions. You can't excuse everything. But a lot of what's done is literally just done in his name. And so he has to do so much to kill himself because he has to destroy his own legacy. And I think that that is honestly the best story arc in Dune, the Paul destroying his own legacy. Paul having to accept this destiny in order to survive. But then what does survival mean? It's he actually survives in order to endure his own destruction. Mm -hmm. Anyway, then we come back to Gurney riding the worm. And again, I stand by. I want the Gurney story. I'll want the Gurney book because they're like, hey, I thought you were riding a worm. And he's like, what? Like, it's hard. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, it was a 20 thumper ride. Yeah, it's fine. I think in the show they're like, yeah, they taught me well. But in the book, he's like, I saw them do it a couple of times. I think I could figure it out. Right. Like you get them here, you get on top of them and you ride them. I don't understand what the problem right. is. Right. I saw some people use the hooks once. Yeah. Like, it, it was easy. Yeah, and then we get in, like, we just add another element to this delicious character soup of Leto and Paul, which is we also get Gurney. And so Gurney walks into this room. He hooks up with his scaven his uh, smuggler buddies. And then he, it's the same smugglers that he was with when he met Paul in the first book. Right. That's when he's talking to the guy and explaining what happened. And he's like, the sons of Esmartuik. Yeah. Like, will never do what they did. Almost as if. History repeats itself is mm -hmm. if the same things come back again, except changed. So he comes back to the smuggler den and he reunites with Paul. Surprise, surprise. But first he talks to Leto and Leto's like, I have still, need of you. Still at this point, nobody has told Gurney for sure, like explicitly that this is actually Paul. Yeah. He just knows all the rumors about maybe the preacher is Paul. Paul. Yeah. But then he looks at Paul and listens to Paul. It doesn't really look like Paul. And it doesn't really and sound like him. And it doesn't really him. sound like him because his voice is all gravelly and aged. Yeah. And and so it's it's this like ambiguity for him. Where is it is this Paul? Yeah. 
And he's just sitting in the stairs in the back with his hood up like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't. Right. And, this isn't and, a reunion. And Paul's back there like, go ahead. You you initiate this conversation. <laughs> Aw, this is really. But it's, it's such a strong emotional connection for Gurney yeah. to Paul that Gurney doesn't want to like reopen that wound. Yeah. Just to have it, this guy be like, I'm not fucking Paul. Yeah. Who you actually cared think uh, about what he old has, man. Think about what he would have to accept if he accepts that it's Paul. He would have to accept that he left Paul. Right. Which he explains to Paul later. Yeah. And that he left him to his fate and he wasn't there to help him. Because the one person besides Duncan, although later Duncan kind of becomes a pawn against him but the one person in paul's life who neither used him nor was used against him i guess right who is literally just a mentor in the book we have the whole scene where he's the one who gives him the spice because he thinks jessica wants him to do it but Mm -hmm. let's just disregard the book in the miniseries gurney is the one person who was never used against him and who has never used him he is his friend Right, he's literally a friend and mentor, and that's it. No Paul political has aspirations. No other friends. This is it. He had Chani and he had Gurney, and Chani's gone, and he hasn't seen Gurney in a really long time. And Jameis. He was a friend of Jameis. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> God. So think about who what Gurney means to him, and he doesn't want to hurt Gurney. What what would what would benefit? Who who would benefit if he harmed Gurney? If he was like, yeah, you abandoned me. I'm Paul. Which I think is why he's like, don't worry. Right. Even later when Paul and Gurney talk. Yeah. And Gurney's like, are you? Like, I. Because he calls him Gurney man. Yes. He goes, don't worry so much, Gurney man. And he comes, he's like sitting, because he's always meditating. He's always like cross-legged whenever he's not doing anything else. Crisscross applesauce. And so he's sitting on this little platform and Gurney comes over and he's like, are you Paul? Like, you got to tell me, are you Paul? And he's like, don't worry. Paul died a long time ago and the sand has erased all trace of his presence. And soon Muad'Dib will follow. Yeah. So even then he's like, I'm not going to tell you that I'm Paul. Yeah. And I'm not even saying, like, when I say, and soon Muad'Dib will follow, I'm not saying I'm Muad'Dib either. Yeah. Well, because I don't want to, like, make that an explicit statement to you. Yeah. Because I know it'll, it, like, Ugh. you literally just said, scene is so, I'll kill oh. myself if I find out that I left you alive. Yeah. Here. And he's like, oh, no. I mean, in his mind, yeah, Paul died a long time ago. The person, the Paul the 15-year-old boy who came here from Caladan, who loved a woman, who thought he could save the world, he died a long time ago. And there's just me now. And it's okay. There's the ghost of Muad'Dib. Yeah. yeah. It's like Alia. Alia died. And Alia's skin is still walking around. Paul died. And now he's just Muad'Dib. And the way that they portray that in the miniseries is so profound and so beautiful because we just do it in the way that he interacts with people. Mm-hmm. We don't need these huge grand gestures. It's just like, no, Gurney man, don't worry about it. I'm all right. In fact, I'm a little hungry. Think you could go get me something to eat? I'm going to use it. I'm getting you out of the room. But also, can you just go get something to eat? And so he leaves. 
And then we get some more scenes in Arakeen. But before we do that, we actually get Faradin and Wencencia and Jessica coming back. And Jessica oh, doesn't, it doesn't make it. It's fine. So we come back. And we we'll get just a, skim right over We that. get another walking down the ramp scene, which is just going to leave that right there. And then this part is really interesting because we just take a giant brush stroke and go all the plot right here. Like yep. all the like when Sensia getting banned, Faradin getting in with Ganima, Jessica coming back to um, Arrakis, all of that, that probably took like 60 pages or 70 pages in the book. They're just like, let's all do that right now. In on one these scene. Steps, like right now. Because they get off, they walk up, and Faradin's like, yeah, like my mom said, like, we're really sorry that Leto died. Oh, and by the way, uh, I'm sorry, because it's my mom who killed them, kill, who tried to kill you. And Ali is like, I'm sorry, what? And Faradin's like, yep, she did it. Mm-hmm. And this is when Gandhi's like, hang on, were you a part of it? And, and Faradin's this, like, no. This portrays Faradin as a much better more interesting character than in the book he's a much more like uh, he says you have done things in my name that i find extremely distasteful so it's another another moment of a son actually standing up to his mother and saying i don't want you to use me like that yeah which is what paul couldn't do to jessica but faradin does to wincentia and she actually calls him an insolent bastard and he goes "Ooh, let's not discuss your weaknesses shall we mother (laughs) <laughs> that's a pretty good line. Yeah, that's a good line. And then when Sensio walks up to Jessica and she's like, isn't it interesting? Because Alia is like, you're banished into the outer darkness. Go off and die a lonely death. And when Sensio is like, well, okay, checkmate. So she walks up to Fraud and she's like, you're better at this than I thought. And I appreciate that. Yeah. You're more of a man than I ever thought you were. Yeah. That's, that's I'm bad. proud of you. Yeah. And she walks up to good Jessica. Job, and she says, isn't it interesting how the sins of the mother bloom in the children they bear? You're like, oh, wow, that's interesting because this was a a twist. It's almost the same Jessica Paul story where Jessica was manipulating Paul for her own gain. Mm-hmm. Except Faradin wouldn't let his mother and, do it. And in her mind, for her son's benefit, too. Yeah. But mostly for hers. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get this whole Stilgar is like, we ride to war. <laughs> He's uh, like, Alia has run back to Arakeen where she is vulnerable. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, I can't. This scene is, it's fine. The The funniest part is when they're on the worms and it's supposed to be this, there's a swell of music. There's banners. There's an army on the worms. And Stilgar's like. Hundreds of thousands like, of dollars of CG. Yeah. And Stilgar's like, like screaming and then they're like oh yeah it's, he's gonna it's gonna take they're three days away they're three days a- <laughs> they're three days away it's like excuse you, me you gotta, you gotta pace your your intensity Stilgar. yeah yeah you don't scream like that till you're like an hour away maybe i don't know and then alia has the stupidest looking binoc- binoculars i've ever seen in my life it's like they got cat you know remember when movies used to come out and they would have themed products from the movies like matrix style sunglasses mm-hmm. or i used to have the ring from the phantom with the skull on it the billy zane movie <laughs> i got it at like a grocery store or something but anyway it's like they got some remaindered matrix sunglasses yeah. and they glued them on whatever on this is binoculars. and put a whisk over top of it <laughs> <laughs> they are so 
They are so science fiction. I just can't with them. They're just, anyway. Ugh, we had such good, what happened to the props from the first one? Right. You could have just brought those back. It's fine. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We're just going to, that. I'm done with Stilgar. Because I can't with this Stilgar. And I, I get where they're going. Stilgar has finally found his gumption and he's going to defeat Ali. And Ali is like, well, that's cool. Can somebody call me when he gets within like 12 hours and then we'll deal with this? I'm, I got a wedding to plan. And so she leaves. And this is when we get the Gurney Man scene. And it's so sweet because he's like, who are you? And Paul slash Muad'Dib, mostly Muad'Dib at this point. Muad'Dib is like, um, who I am doesn't matter. And Gurney goes, it matters to me. You're like, oh, my God, like stab me right in the chest. That is so, uh, such a good scene. And this is when he tells him Paul Atreides is no more and soon Muad'Dib will follow. So you don't need to feel bad. You didn't leave me. I was yeah. already and dead. I, I really like in, so in the book, Muad'Dib and Gurney don't really interact. Right. And so, but I really like that they got just a scene yeah. where they can chat and Gurney can have some kind of closure. Right. And Muad'Dib also gets to have some kind of closure about Gurney. Yeah, he gets to have a last moment with his friend. Because mm -hmm. then we cut to Ganima getting dressed for her wedding or getting fit for her wedding. And she's holding <laughs> she's this just knife. brandishing a knife the <laughs> whole time. Ma'am, can you please put the knife down? Ma'am, <laughs> ma'am, you're making the fitters nervous. Ma'am, can you please put the knife down? But this is when uh, Leto shows up. And she gets this really sweet scene where she's happy to see him and she touches his new skin and it's kind of cool. And she's just like, this is a really cute, like twins, re best friends reuniting, like best friends club getting back together again. And it's really cute. And Matt, was like, there's a scene where she bites her lip. And so I made a crack like, oh, are we still like genetically related? Like how genetically related are we still? And Matt right, goes. They're, they're doing a good job of conveying like, so they're doing a really good job conveying, like, this, you know, twin sibling, like, intimacy. Yeah. Where they've literally known each other their whole lives. Never been apart. They've never been apart. They they touch each other a lot. Like, they yeah, hug. They kiss each other. It's a very casual familial intimacy. Yeah. But then she's, like, stroking his arm and bites her lip. Yeah. And it's like... It feels a little weird. Yeah. And Matt was like, I wonder how far down the scales have gone. And I said, you know what? There's actually very little loins in this. And I'm really disappointed that we are <laughs> The not... word loins appears <laughs> in the book. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really disappointed about how um, unfaithful we've been to the source material Wait. regarding his loins. Okay. So I word searched the book. The word loins shows up seven times in the okay, book. Okay, that's seven times. And the word Six loins too many. <laughs> shows up zero times in the miniseries. Where's my fucking loins? Okay, I need to know about his loins. He needs to have feelings in his loins. He needs to lose touch with his loins, like lose the bits in his loins. There's just not enough loins, that's all I'm saying. And then we come back because uh, Muad'Dib has actually gotten Gurney to leave so he can have a motherfucking temper tantrum in the market square, which is very Jesus of him, honestly, yes. overturning all these tables. Yeah. And he's like, you'll all be covered with sand. And he's just tossing everything around. Then he just stops and he turns. And it looks like he stops that. and looks at one of the like portraits. Yeah. That's up. And in my mind, it's a portrait of Chani. 
Oh, it could be. Oh, that's, that's my fan wow. cannon. You're just throwing that one. Wow. Okay. Is that he's raging through the marketplace? I had so these, many feelings at all these religious Good icons things. that people are selling and like making yeah. profit on. Like literally, his image and his family's images. Yeah, he's and overturning then, the money changers in the temple. Yeah, and yeah. then he gets to a portrait of Chani, and he stops. Yeah, and, and then like, he's like, "Fuck." He's like, nope, I know where I got to go. So he turns and starts heading. He's supposed to be blind. He could at least kind of pretend to be blind because they're all like, ooh, deep. Right. So deep. Leo Leo has brought them here. Yeah. As part of this plan to like finish taking down Alia. And he's probably like, okay, Gurney and Preacher, just lay low. Like, don't make a scene. Just we need to stay hidden for a few. A little while um, while I go prepare some things. I'm going to go talk to Ganima. Yeah. I'm going to sneak in. Whatever. I'll, I'll do my thing. Um, you guys just keep it quiet. Don't get in any trouble. And uh, I'll be back. And then we can execute the plan. And while he's up talking to Ganima, Paul's like, those fucking heretics. <laughs> well, it's probably more like, well, if I'm going out. <laughs> I'm going down. I'm going out the way big. I lived. And that's go giving big a speech. Or go home. And that's giving a speech in front of people. That's what I'm going to go out to. <laughs> yeah, go big or go home. And so he ends up heading towards Alia's temple. And he has all these people following him who are like, Muadib. Right after people, he was storming through the marketplace. Yeah, lots of people yeah. are like, oh, I think that might be Paul. Right, because the rumors are saying yeah. that the preacher is Muadib. Right. And he's not. Doing anything yeah. that would dissuade them. Right. Except he's not confirming. No, neither confirm nor deny is his is his um, platform for this. Yeah. So he goes to Alia's temple and they've heard that he's there and that he's on a rampage. And so they are not harming him, but they have blocked off the temple. There's a line of priests outside the door. So he goes up the stairs, which again, he's supposed to be blind. He just walks up these stairs. Like fucking pretend a little bit, Paul. Okay. Dig deep. <laughs> and so... Because he doesn't have a guide anymore who used to be his like, see, I'm blind, I have a guide, but his guide got right, killed. Right, and this scene in the book, yeah, isn't Leto there as his guide? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because Leto's a, a dick in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes up the stairs and he bares his teeth at the right, priest. He's, he he's just like, stares <laughs> at the guards for a minute and then he like lifts his head up like he's like having a profound thought or like looking at the sky or whatever. And then he just opens his mouth and like lifts his upper lip and shows off his like gnarly teeth. Yeah. <laughs> like and then he starts laughing. laughing. Yeah. Then he starts laughing and then he turns around and we get his John the Baptist reference, which is I am the voice from the wilderness. Yeah. And he's like, I'm the voice from the wilderness. And he actually says, I saw a beast in the desert. I beheld a beast in the desert and the name of the beast was salvation, which is another biblical quote. Mm -hmm. But it's folded really nicely into, yeah, he did see a beast in the desert. (laughs) And so this, uh, I I would say this is probably like the the same quote from the Bible, but it's the Orange Catholic Bible. Oh, it could be. And particularly it's like folded into the the Missionaria Protectiva mythology that yeah. the Bene Gesserit set on Dune, where they took a lot of that, but then put in all the desert references. Yeah. I and think, so yeah. that that line in like the Fremen mythology is probably the same as the like the Bible, 
where I beheld a beast in the desert that on its head was the word salvation, whatever. Yeah. And but then they were like, oh, yeah. And then it like spewed water onto the desert. And yeah, it, it will spill poison. your water onto the sand. Yeah. Yeah. And the sand we've spilled on the water is blood. Yes. Yeah. And he just got he. It's a fucking metal speech, and I love every minute of it. Yeah. Thank you for giving us this gift, Alec Newman and Paul Newman. Good job, writers. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so Alia has snuck out to be part of the crowd. Gurney is running towards him because he's realized he's been tricked, so he dropped his sack of potatoes, and he's running after him. And Leto doesn't quite know he's there yet. Otherwise, he'd be there immediately because apparently he can, I don't know, fucking teleport. doesn't really matter. But I think this is really funny because then we get Jessica, and she's in this room. <laughs> contemplating this stone garden and she hears Paul's voice and it's literally like oh, such a fucking drama queen and then just goes back to looking at her stone. Right. And so this, the equivalent of this in the book, she's up in Alia's like throne room or whatever. Yeah, this, yeah. And she's like, huh, that voice, he's using the capital V voice. Yeah. He's using some vocal control and it kind of sounds like Paul. Well, this Maybe is, it really is Paul. This is a one instance where instead of protracting the plot, we expand the plot because the preacher death, Alia death, all that kind of happens really quickly. Mm -hmm. And then we get this long denouement with Leto where Leto's like, hell yeah, I'm going to live for 3000 years and I'm going to become a god and I'm going to manipulate bloodlines and I'm going to make the perfect people and I'm going to save us from the apocalypse. And you're like, blah, 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 blah. So to make this a better ending than having James McAvoy give us a soliloquy on how he's going to um, destroy humanity and break it in order to build it back better. Instead, we actually get our characters doing cool sad tragic shit and it's brilliant and i love every single change because first of all it's clear jessica doesn't either doesn't know this is paul or fuck paul either way she doesn't recognize her own son's voice or she or recognizes she does, her son's voice and, and doesn't, doesn't care. care yeah and so she's contemplating her rock and paul kind of winds up his speech by calling out alia and he pulls Alia out of the crowd. And, and he's like, it, there's only one heresy left. And yeah. that heresy is, yoink, Alia. Alia. And then he looks at her and he goes, forgive me, sister. No one has ever said they were sorry or asked for forgiveness from Alia before ever. Right. They were each other's family. They were all each other had. When Alia is dying on the floor... I and her want mother my actually, yeah. Oh Jesus, that that scene is so much better in the miniseries than in the book. Yeah, but this "forgive me, sister" is just like, oh my god, like fucking knife to the heart, because then he gets stabbed from behind immediately. Well, yeah, and then the love theme plays, like the Chani mm -hmm. and Paul love theme starts playing in the background, and you're like, oh my god. This scene is there's like three points in this episode where just the soundtrack just it's boom the, oh. hits it hard god it's so good and then Leto arrives he like alia runs off god gurney's not there because he's chasing after the guy that killed muadib and Leto arrives and he holds his dad and he, and he's like tag you're it son he's like <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Like, I did it. I think I did it. I think I finally 
I think I finally opened the way for you so right. that you I, don't have I to do. I finished destroying the the symbol. I of set Mulan you Dave. free. Yeah. I set you free. Um, and now I get to go. I'm so excited. <laughs> and then he dies, and Leto whisks off his body. Yeah. So they don't even. Yeah, have there's that. literally just a puff of sand because Leto moves so fast. Yeah, and that and that's. If Paul wasn't dead from the stabbing, he's dead from the whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the wedding scene, and this is Leto's. Oh, so we uh, in between this we get Alia, or. Yeah, no. we get Alia in a minute watching the the Fremen approaching the city. Oh, that and was earlier. They're one day away. And she's like, I have a wedding to get to. Yeah, that was earlier. Because we go immediately from Paul dying to the wedding scene. Because oh, okay. we're watching Jessica walk in. Because Jessica's already wearing her wedding outfit. That's She's staring at the stones while her son dies on the ground outside. Oh, right. <laughs> Bleeds out Ganyma on the ground. was getting dressed for the wedding when... Um, died. Jesus fucking Christ, I hate Jessica so much. She's like, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Just gotta, fear is the mind killer. Just gotta move through this. And so then we get the whole wedding scene where she comes in with Farad and because honestly she likes Farad and better like better than she likes her own kids. Because <laughs> he's malleable and they never were. And this is a really tragic scene because Leto and Ganima show up and they're both like pelvis to pelvis, like standing like ta-da y'all! <laughs> The bitch is back. And they're like, <laughs> hell yeah. Well, that, so, that was exactly Lilo's line. Yeah. Yeah. The bitch is back. And so then he, you know, approaches the throne. He gets attacked. He beats a bunch of people up. And then he's like, okay. I think they did the Lido combat scene well. Yeah. I think just making him blur was better. The right choice. Was the right choice. Um, yeah. And then, and then when Alia attacks him. Because he takes out all the guards. Yeah. And then Ali, like, uh, Harkonnen, like, takes control of Alia and runs at him with the knife. And he's just, like, casually just moving out of the way. Like, it's not even a contest. Right. And then he just, like, one hand, like. Pushes her away. Yeah. And then. Like the six inch punch or whatever. Yeah. The. The thing, yeah, the yeah, from Kill Bill, where she does the like put her fingertip like on wing, it and then punch wing it. Chung or yeah, whatever it doesn't matter. He, he pushes her away and then he's like, Okay, aunt, it's time for you to go now. Like, you've been dead for a while anyway. It's time for the rest of you to die. And in the book, this is very much like there's a window, jump out of it. And she's like, Cool, thanks for the memories. And she jumps out of the window and that's it. But this, mm, this is another brilliant change because she runs up to him to stab him and he doesn't stop her. And we get, like, flashes of her other lives, the Harkonnen and all the other people that live in her head. And then she pulls the knife back and then pushes it against him again. And then we get all these scenes of her being her and just being Of her happy. remembering herself. Like yeah. being outside and feeling the wind on her face and being with Duncan and smiling. And all those moments that she had that were just hers. Right. And it gives her enough of herself that she's able to stab herself. And Jessica is standing there the whole goddamn. This like, was the moment for Jessica to, to come in. To stand up and be a mother because she falls on the ground and she's like convulsing at one point. And Jessica's like, can you stop? Right. Can you fucking <laughs> Jessica not? just looks like, well, and then, and then she's like, mommy. 
I know. She goes, mommy, help me. And Jessica just looks at her and is like, ew, gross. Like, oh. That's when Lita says, help yourself. And so she ends up- Right. This was the moment for Jessica to come in and like lift up Alia, like embrace her. Yeah. And say like, I'm sorry, I failed you, whatever. Yeah. Some yeah. sentimental, I'll tragic line. You. I did this to you. And then stab Alia. I fucking did this to you. I'll see it through to the end. Right. And then Alia can say thank you. Yeah. Like for saving me Instead, or for ending this. Alia has to stab herself. And then she collapses on the ground. And Jessica for a minute is like, oh, I'm fucking wearing white. God. And she runs over. <laughs> like, ah, oh, I need to get over there so the blood doesn't get on the rug. I know. Well, she picks her up and then she does the same thing that she does at the end of the Dune miniseries. Right. As she Where like little tiny girl Alia. Little, little girl Alia touches her finger to her mom's tears and like licks it and then goes, I want my brother. And then dies. And yeah. And she is... kind of looks off and her brother can't come because I... her brother just died in front of her. There is not a better way to write that scene. Yeah. That is perfection. That series of events where Alia and Paul, who are the two most tragic characters in the whole fugue of Dune, are gone. And it's such a better way to see them off than in the book. And you re- it really highlights um, Jessica's role and really indifference to what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Although she does cry for Alia, but too little, too late. You didn't right. make she any. She sheds t- one tear for <laughs> Alia, and then we get this voiceover where it's, you know, well, then actually, it's not a voiceover. It's, um, it's James McAvoy running off into the desert, and he runs so fast he turns into a blur. And then we get Ganima like, he runs until he's so tired that he comes and lays his head on my lap and he begs me to help him die. And Faradin's like, why would he want to die? That's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Look how fast he can run. And Connie was like, well, he knows what he gave up. Like he knows what he's going to have to give up. He's stuck on, he's stuck on a path towards the future so that none of the rest of us will have to be like, he made the ultimate right. sacrifice. He's making a sacrifice. Yeah. And Vraden's like, oh, does that mean we can't get married? And she's like, well, as my mother was never wife, so you'll never be husband. But that doesn't mean we Which won't means love each other eventually. we're going to bang. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen, but, like, we don't, we're not going to be together like that. Like, you're going to be like Irulan. Irulan's cool. You guys can start a support group. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Traumatized uh, nannies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although Irulan got married but didn't get to be wife, right. he won't get married, but will so get to I, be So I husband. guess Leto is going to be more like Irulan. Yeah. Where he's going to be the non-parental caregiver. Well, we don't talk about how they're going to get married, which is fine, because there's no way you can translate that to a modern audience of like, no, they're married, but like he doesn't have a dick, so it's perfectly fine, right? Right. There, there's nothing untoward Look happening. at his loins. There's nothing going on there. He doesn't have any loins. doesn't have any loins. Loins, 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 loins. Loins! Okay, we hit seven. Okay. So. Or you could just, you could just have the loins line once and then. Just a really strong reverb, so you get loins seven times. <laughs> Just loins, right here. <laughs> loins. <laughs> there. We just need to add that <laughs> to the miniseries. 
Brian Tyler could have written a song where that was the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a nice choral overlay yeah. to him running. Loins. No loins. No loins. <laughs> and the song is just called No Loins. <laughs> <laughs> no loins for Lido. <laughs> I just love the classic math, like the classic man books when they're like Maloins, because it's like I can't say dick, but I'm definitely thinking with my dick. I feel right it now. in my jellies. I feel it in my jellies. So uh, that's it. But the saga of Dune is far from over. Like there's three more books, which we may eventually someday read. Maybe sooner than later. It just kind of depends. You know, we are apparently a mood po- mood podcasters. <laughs> so there's mood a thing casters. where you're mood readers. Where you read based on your mood. You're like, oh, no, I want a happy book. I want a sad book. I want a whatever. So you're a mood reader. Well, we're mood podcasters, so we'll just have to wait and see where the the drifts of the mood take us. I was thinking today about how we used to actually have structure. Hold we on. Do... We need to remember the Gurney line. Uh, mood is for Oh, mood is for and cattle and, and love play. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay, but that's about knife fighting. This isn't a knife fighting. Yeah. This is podcasting, so that's fine. I was thinking the other day about how when we used to have structure, when we used to do science fiction, fantasy, and then horror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those were the good old days. And then we were like, what if we just did what we want? <laughs> you know what? It's good to try things. And I think it worked. And then we wanted to be able to focus on themes for longer. And so then we switched it up. So, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Hopefully you're on this journey because you enjoy us. And you enjoy our commentary on things. And so then we can talk about whatever we want because you're here for us, right? Matt looked at me like, I'm here for you. (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't know how to say it just yet. So I guess we'll leave it there. I feel like we talked enough about that. And I was, you know what? I forgot how much I love this miniseries. And as much as I bitched and moaned about the, about the, costumes the way that they changed up the ending and just made the ending just like perfection Mm -hmm. it worth it i will tolerate all of those raw seams yeah if i I, get i approve of all of the adaptations the adaptation changes and i just remember we were talking in the first one about why has alec newman not gone on and done more things and he's actually done quite a bit i mean if you delve into it he did a frankenstein miniseries and some other stuff and I was telling my sister that we were watching this. We get a lot of my niece stories, but honestly, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> so <laughs> I was talking to my sister about this. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're watching the Dune miniseries, and it's really exciting. And, like, full disclosure, my parents, my mom and my sister, and my, nobody gives a shit that we do a podcast, like, at all. They don't listen. They don't want to hear about it. I don't talk about it in polite company. It's sort of like the – it's like sex. They want us to do it in another room, and they don't want to know we do it. It's basically yeah. what, what it comes down to. But I, every once in a while, I just, like, poke them with the knowledge that we're still doing this thing, you know, that we have, like, 200 episodes of. But that's fine. So – I was telling him about how we're doing the Dune miniseries, and she goes, oh, is that the one with the short guy? Gross. Come on. So I just want to put out into the universe that that size, don't be a size queen. It's okay if you're five foot eight. Look at the good job that he did. It's he like- does an amazing job as Paul. Like I like his Paul better than Timothy Chalamet's Paul. Um, well- We'll see, we'll see so how it goes. Let's just say that Jessica is to Alice Krieg as Paul is to Timothy Chalamet for Rachel. Say it again. I said, I said, Jessica is to Alice Krieg 
as. <laughs> I can hear you. Give us two more minutes. Okay, tell her we'll be right up. We'll be right up. We'll see you in a few minutes. Jessica is to Alice Krieg as Timothy Chalamet is to Paul. I don't think he's the worst Paul. Kyle McLaughlin might have that honor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's Not... a bar that I don't think Timothy Chalamet you know, it's it's not apples to apples. Okay, Kyle yeah. McLaughlin, Paul is not to it is not apples to apples to Timothy Chalamet's Paul, and Timothy Chalamet's Paul is not apples to apples to Alec Newman's Paul. Because right, and I think the new Dune is really good. Is really good. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't except for the part where they had Jason Momoa shave his beard. Jason, you're a very it's handsome a crime. man. Don't shave that beard. <laughs> just don't. Okay, just leave it right where it is so um it's hard to it's you can't compare right because they're not even the same thing at dune 1984 isn't based on anything <laughs> it's uh, out of left field it has some names in common and that's about it yeah. and then the miniseries these two miniseries to me are the best possible adaptation because the format is the best the person who wrote it is a fan and it's long form Longer than a movie can be. Although I think the two Dune movies will actually be as long as the miniseries when all is said and done. Yes. And then the new Dune movies are great. I, I like revisiting things. I don't worry about whether or not an adaptation is going to be better or are they going to do a good job with it or whatever. I'm like, oh, cool. Let me see what this person does. Yeah, but when, when I, me personally, yeah. when I think of Paul, I think of Alec Newman's yeah. Paul. Yeah. I would agree with you. I do. I would agree with you. You know what? I love it because it's like, it's very no gods, no rules. We do what we want. Yeah. And I feel like that's my new theme for what I really like is I really like when people are like, cool, let's do this cool thing. Let's just try something new. Instead of Denis Villeneuve was like, um, I was given a solid gold mountain and I have billions of dollars to work with. Let's make a fucking awesome movie. And you're like, great. I am also excited about this fucking awesome movie, but they aren't apples to apples. The... $30 million that they spent on the entire Dune miniseries was Timothy Chalamet's paycheck for right. Dennyville News. So if you fall into the trap of, oh, but this, you know, it's not as good. The special effects aren't good. There's painted backgrounds. Don't fucking do that to yourself. I know I say this a lot, but I feel like this is a thing that I run into a lot where people are like, oh, but the production was so low or the production was so cheap. Right. Like you're only in it for how much you are being directly stimulated in a favorable way yeah. by this content. By the visuals. by the Purely by the visuals. Right. Um, no, the story is the thing. So, you know, story is the right. thing. It's like foreign foreign moves, movies and TV shows with subtitles. Yeah. Just, it's a one-inch barrier. You, get over it. Right. You look over the, the tiny fence, the one-inch... What what is it called? The one inch wall of yeah. subtitles, and and you enjoy the story, yeah, the acting, yeah. So, I think we'll leave it there. Anytime we start pontificating, it's a good place to cut it off. <laughs> Plus, our son keeps calling us on the walkie-talkie because he wants to go play Mario. So, until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Mario podcast.